Today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, and uh, this morning and yesterday, Pastor Sam Kyung preached on the first section of Matthew chapter 4, which is the temptations of Jesus. So I just want you to look, uh, go in, uh, into your podcast and to listen to it. As Pastor Chu has said, from now on, every week there are two sermons. So you actually won't hear the uh, same sermon in, any of, uh, in the two services. So one and two will always have one part, three and four will have the second part, and it's completely different because each chapter is so long. So in chapter four, is divided into the temptations of Jesus, which is done by Pastor Sam Kyung. And today, uh, this morning, I'm going to do the second part of, chapter, of Matthew chapter four, which is really verse 18 or 13 onwards. Now, what I've done is that I've decided to call this whole thing that I'm doing called the success is in the process. So why don't you just say it together with me, really loud, really strong, the success is in the process. Amen? Say it one more time. The success is in the process. Now you may ask me, actually I wanted to do, it's a journey, not the destination. It's the same thing. It's the journey, not the destination. Following Jesus is a journey, not a destination. And the reason why I decided to change it is the success, not the process, is that I was in Bandung last week and it was amazing to see how uh, in Indonesia, the workplace ministry has taken really the, the things of the kingdom of God into the workplace. And they always say this, do not watch, do not listen to our success stories but it is our process stories that you must hear. So I really liked it so much that I decided I'm going to change the title of my sermon to it's the success is in the process. Now turn with me and we're going to read Matthew chapter 4 together. I would encourage you to open your Bibles, whether it's physical or online, but I do believe in reading it straight off with our own eyes rather than on the screen. So I apologize if it's not on the screen, but I don't apologize as well. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 25. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were, they were putting out their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And so, at once they left their nets and followed him. Come on, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And again, Jesus called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus then went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and casting out uh, uh, sorry, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, and indeed the paralyzed, and healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and indeed the whole region across the Jordan followed him. Now, let's look at this whole story. And we want to start off even in chapter 4, or just a bit before chapter 4, in chapter 3. So if we talk about even looking at Jesus, 
we reach in chapter 4, the real success story of Jesus. The success story of Jesus actually is in the second part or the last part of chapter 4, where it says in verse, I think it is in verse 19 or verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news. And what was the result of his preaching? He healed, it said that he healed every disease and everyone who came to him was healed, the demon possessed was set free and indeed he had large crowds and the large crowds came from throughout the region. It says it came from Galilee, from 10 towns and even from Jerusalem and all over Judah. If that was ever a success story, this was a success story. Amen. How many of you agree that's a success story? How many of you agree that's a success story? It is a success story. And indeed, it is important to have a success story. So don't get me wrong. I want to start off by saying there must be success stories for people to begin to be saying, wow, the kingdom of God has come. In other words, I want to start off by saying it is nothing wrong to have testimonies up here. We need to hear testimonies because when there is a testimony, it means that Satan is defeated and Jesus is victorious. Amen? If you agree with me, say amen. Come on, if you agree with me, say amen. I'll tell you why I want to say that. Because Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishes of men. But if not, no fish ever came in, it is not much good following Jesus. Nobody would want to follow Jesus. So we must not minimize success stories. And the reason why I want to say this is because many people come to me and say, we only share success stories, we only share success stories. We share success stories, but there's a process behind the success. And today, I want to talk about the processes. When Jesus said, what is the process to give such a success story? So Jesus gave a clear-cut process. Follow me and I will make you. That fishes of men. So the real process is follow me and I will make you. And the success comes as a result of the process. So everybody say to the other person, the success comes because of the process. Come on, turn to someone and say this. The success comes because of the process. And do you know something? Even Jesus went through a process. Jesus never started preaching until chapter 4. So what happened in chapter 2? If we hear in Luke, the first part of his life, he, had, he could not perform anything. He had to be subject to his parents. That's a process. If you're the son of God, why do you need to be subject to your parents? But he had to go to the process of raising up as a little child, learning obedience. Then also we read that he had to be baptized. Why would Jesus need to be baptized? After all, he's the son of God. He had to learn obedience in baptism. Why else would Jesus have, why did Jesus have to go through temptation? So that he would experience temptation as a man. And that is a process. It's only when Jesus had gone through the process of being raised as a child in a human household, subject to his parents, only as he learned to subject himself to the Father God by going through baptism, only as he learned to be subject to temptations and overcome that, then success comes on. The success is in the process. And so today, we're going to talk really about what does it mean to follow Jesus? And what, what does it really mean? Actually, to follow Jesus is really Lanka demi Lanka. It's the step-by-step, -step, boring, daily process of following Jesus. So turn to your friend again. Process is Lanka demi Lanka. 
I really like that. In fact, I like it so much that uh, uh, we're setting up, we're preparing for the 25th anniversary. And a 25th anniversary, in case you're going to go on holiday, we're going to tell you don't go on holiday because it's on November the 17th and you want to be here because we're preparing a fantastic book for you. One of the chapters is Lanka Demi Lanka. Now, let me go on to look at the word, I will make you. What does it mean, I will make you? From the Greek, it simply means puyo, to make, to produce, to construct, to refashion. So in the whole purpose of Jesus saying to us, follow me and I will make you fishes of men, he's doing a reconstruction of our thinking, our perspectives, our thought process, our choices, our way of life. Why? So that we will have a success story, a testimony that will defeat the devil. Amen? And that's what happened to the early disciples. The early disciples, as they followed Jesus, went through major reconstruction. And it happened even after Jesus left them, so that thereafter, everyone looking at them, the whole of Asia began to believe that this is the Son of God. This is the good news for every human being. In the same way, I say this to you, never has there been a time when the whole world is looking for you and I to manifest the glory of God and now, because there's so much wickedness in the world. The most wicked thing that happened in New Zealand is not just that the people got killed. The most wicked thing that happened in New Zealand was that this man broadcasted it through social media. And that was wicked. But in the midst of that, in the midst of so much darkness, the world is looking for our light. And even before we reach chapter 5 and talk about salt of the earth and light of the world, forget about being salt of the earth, forget about being light of the world until we understand process, until we understand reconstruction. So I want to talk about this this way. You know, when you accept Jesus, when you become a believer, you accept Jesus. That means I agree Jesus is going to uh, forgive my sins. So you believe in that. And that's good. Amen? How many of you believe that Jesus has forgiven you your sins? Amen. Praise God. Don't worry. There always can be altar call. <laughs> All right? The believer accepts Jesus. They accept the truth about Jesus. But actually, they haven't allowed Jesus into the recesses of their heart, their mind, and their will. So the process of following Jesus is not just to be a believer and that's enough. I want to say this and I say it with all uh, respect and love and, and, and for you all. A lot of people only accept Jesus. And if you wonder to yourself why some people grow and some people never grow, it's the simple difference between accepting Jesus and moving to become a follower which allows Jesus to process them. What does it mean to allow Jesus to process them? That means to allow Jesus to come into our thought, our behavior, our choices, and to begin to confront the truth, comfort the pain, heal our shame, challenge our love, and to increase our capacity. To me, if I were to, in a nutshell, really begin to ask myself, what does it mean that when I follow Jesus, I allowed Jesus to reconstruct me. What would it look like? What would it look like? I just want to list it in these few simple things. Firstly, it means we allow him to confront what we think are truths, but are actually false truths. When we allow him 
to deal and comfort the pains. And not just comfort, you know, just now we sang living hope is so powerful. And the, Jesus began to say to me, the reason why you can sing living hope is I'm here to heal your shame and to comfort your pain. I'm here to do all that. And, and I'll come to it in a while. In fact, God gave me a powerful word as we were worshiping. I believe, I believe. You know something? Some of you pastors here, you are going to be doing great things. Some of you who are not yet even pastors, you are going to be doing something that will cause the kingdom of God to be revealed to mankind. But you know something? You have to deal with shame, pain, defeat. Until you deal with defeat, the Lord put it so strong within me. Until you have learned to deal with defeat, you cannot be successful. That is process. That's process. Until God be able to dissect between what we think are truths and half-truths, that cannot be success. That may be like the world, no different from the world. So God has to deal with these things. And then God has to challenge our love for Him. Will we be able to follow Jesus until the very end? You know, I'm very excited about crafting for the 25th anniversary. Uh, somewhere towards the end of that whole 25th anniversary show is this beautiful song by Kaylee, which says, and I will follow him until the very end. Beautiful song in spite of who I am. Don't worry, come to 25th anniversary. Turn, now, now I want to look at one, so as I talked about it, God's purpose is to increase our capacity. Right now, we may not have the capacity to love people at the way we should. Right now, we may not have the capacity to serve Him the way we should. Right now, we may not have the capacity to deal with defeats the way we should. But God intends to increase our capacity. I still remember way back, way back. Now, I feel that this is our 25th anniversary. Would it be good for me to tell you some of our stories? Amen. How many of you would like to hear some of our stories? The stories of SIB. Amen. You know, a lot of people look at SIB now. I, I just pity you. You're at the... The, the part where we're already big and looks good, but you should hear our stories because it wasn't always like that. One little part, i just tell you one tiny part of the story. We were about, uh, at that moment, about 500 strong. And to me, 500 was a huge, 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 huge church. And I was like, oh, this is too overwhelming for me. And I remembered uh, at one of, in those days, we still used to have what is called, um, what do you call those retreats that we have? Family retreats, right? Church retreats. Uh, 500, we could still hold church retreats. 3,000, uh, no place can hold us. So we had this church retreat. It was fun. It was good. But I remember that that church retreat, it was really a humbling moment for us, for me, because someone came and told me, someone was very, very upset with me because I never, never talked to her. And I really don't know who this girl is, but I never, never talked to her. And I was, I was told that uh, she would stand there and I would talk to everyone except her. But the point was that I didn't even know that she wanted to talk to me. So I was like, how would I know she wanted to talk to me? So I was like, I don't know how she wants to talk to me. Uh, I don't even know that she's standing there. I mean, so many people are standing around me. Why don't she just come and talk to me? Now, in the midst of that, I was so broken by that comment that, you know what? People, uh, she's very angry and she's going to leave church because you didn't talk to her. And she's been standing in the line for the last three weeks. I said, please ask her to come and talk to me. Don't talk to her one, you know. Uh, no big deal one. But it was in the midst of that, the Lord began to speak to me because at that time, we were also looking for a bigger premise. And, then, and I hated the idea of bigger premise. A bigger premise means more people. More people means more headache. Sorry, sorry. I love you very much. I love you so much. You are not a headache to me now. Because Jesus did something. I tell you why it's not a headache now. At that moment, Jesus said, it's not the size of the building 
is the size of your heart. That is what increasing capacity. That's why I love you. And I'm sincerely loving you. I can talk to you. And I will talk to you. Amen? Now, I want us to look at Peter. Let's look at the story of Peter. I'm going to use Peter because he's an interesting man. And he has great challenge. He's a great leader. Peter is the first one that Jesus met. And Peter was the one that Peter, Jesus said to him, Come, follow me, and I'll make you fishes of men. So we're going to fast forward the story of Peter right up to this story that's found in Matthew chapter, now what chapter is that? Matthew chapter 26. All right, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. It's in the, in the, in the, in the board. And here Peter, Jesus is at the last stage of his life and Jesus knows he's going to die. He's going to die. He's going to... Now, I don't know how much Peter really understood, although Jesus had told Peter many times that he would die and he'd be raised again. We really don't know how much Peter understood that. But now it comes the crunch. So here's the story. Jesus comes that night on his, the last night of his time on earth. And on the way towards the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said to his disciples, Tonight, all of you will desert me. But Peter declares, Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Never, Peter said. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples said the same. I love Peter. He's an honest man. And he was just functioning out of his own self. And therefore, what was Jesus dealing with? I want you to note this story. I, I would really love you to look at it in your own Bible. Because in this story, you will notice that Jesus only mentions it once. He doesn't hammer it in. I, I just want you to know that. Because this Jesus that we are following is truly an amazing, loving God. He's not here like our fathers or our mothers, sometimes husbands. Huh? I told you already, I don't do it. I told you already, I don't do it. I told you already, I told you already. He doesn't do that. It's just once and it was enough. When Jesus confronted the truth in Peter, what was the truth that Peter had to wake up to see? Now, we will go forward first, all right? Let's tell, read the rest of the story. Now, the rest of the story goes on further. Let's jump and... Um, it's, it's, not in, it's not in the slide. I just want to tell you. Now, we all know the story. So Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. The soldiers come and takes Jesus away. And, and Jesus is now uh, shackled up. And he's dragged away. And everybody runs away. Everybody, including Peter. And as Peter runs away, he goes into the hiding into somewhere near the temple. And here comes a servant girl. And the servant girl comes and says, Hey, you are one of them. And she he angrily, Jesus, I don't know him. And Peter says, I don't know him. Now, the second time, you should look it in your Bible and look at the story. The servant girl comes along here, and not servant girl. Another group of people say, hey, aren't you one of them? He almost said this, I swear to, no, he didn't curse himself. He took an oath. I swear to you, I don't know him. Well, it's the next stage of don't know him. Huh? Then later on, he moves away to another place. And the group of people says, yeah, you're one of them. And he begins to curse himself. I don't know this man. That is the extent he went. The extent he went into denying Jesus. 
when Jesus encountered Peter, or rather told his disciples and turned to Peter, when Peter said, I will never deny you, even unto death I will never deny you. Was Peter lying? No, he was not lying. He was merely telling him, telling Jesus what he believed he could do. And this is very important. As we follow Jesus, and I believe this church is an amazing church. You all are not just young followers of Jesus. You are mature followers of Jesus. And God is speaking to the mature followers of Jesus. Sometimes we act in bravado. And Jesus needed to confront the bravado or the self-reliance inside Peter. You know, I just want to really encourage all of you because a lot of you love Jesus a lot. Amen? How many of you love Jesus a lot? Amen. And not only do you love Jesus a lot, you want to do great things for Jesus. Amen? Uh, no need to put up hands. I'm sure you do. But the point is this. One of the things we have to learn is not how much we can do for God, but how much God needs first to do inside us. I just had lunch with someone yesterday, and the saddest part about this person is that he's She's, they are going through a journey where they used to be so strong and leaders and able to do so much for God. But this season in their journey, they can't because things have changed and they're totally not able to. And she felt so defeated and, and almost like, am I backsliding? Am I? What's happening to me? And do you know something? God needs us to know not to rely on what we can do for him but to allow a process where God is saying to us, let me change your idea of serving me. Let me deal with half-truths. It's not what you do for me that counts. It's what I'm going to do inside you that counts. There are many truths God will confront us. Do you know that chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is full of truths. Yesterday, I did a, a time to train people how to do the word, and we realized there's so many, so many truths in five, six, and seven. Allow, when we start sharing or preaching on five, six, and seven, allow God to confront our half-truths. For instance, what does it mean to walk the second mile? What does adultery mean to God? What does being meek mean to God? What does it mean to be a peacemaker? What does it mean to be even poor in spirit? Let God begin to confront these truths because these are the very essence. If we do not allow God's truths to dissect our half-truths, we will not be able to live in the truth. Can I say it again? If we don't allow God's truths to confront our half-truths, then we won't be able to live out for the glory of the real truth. I'll give you a couple of examples. I'm just so blessed with what's happening in Seven Steps to Freedom. Have you ever wondered why we chose Seven Steps to Freedom as a thing you must go through before you become a member? Have you ever wondered? Anybody ever wondered why SIB is so crazy? One, huh? People become member and must go through Seven Steps of Freedom. One. Have you ever wondered? Oh, you're wonderful people. You just trust me entirely. The reason why we did that is that many, 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 many years ago, the Lord put inside my spirit. He said, I'm not interested in you. I never asked you to go and make members of every nation. I asked you to go and make disciples of every nation. And when I did the seven steps of freedom with people, I realized they were being processed. And truths 
that were half truths were being dissected. So yesterday, uh, this last weekend, uh, people have been going through seven steps to freedom and the amount of breakthroughs people got. I'll just give you one or two. One girl was wearing a crystal bracelet. I've had permission from Pastor Susie who says it's okay for me to share because these are success stories, all right? Are you interested in a success story? Come on, are you interested in a success story? Amen. But behind the success story is a process story. So I'm going to tell you the process story. So as this girl, so she came to me full of, wow, oh, so good, oh, seven steps to freedom. She told me at least five or six different stories. I said, I cannot take it. I think I take it. Just give me one or two. And the success stories are amazing. But I'll tell you the process. The process, this girl, Pastor Susie, she fasts and prays before seven steps to freedom. And she prepares real well. Okay, but that's her problem. <laughs> But what happened is that there was a girl that came and said, I have this crystal. So how? We are doing the first step of seven steps to freedom is counterfeit versus, uh, uh, counterfeit versus truth, right? Uh, truth, yeah. So counterfeit. So it's this counterfeit, no crystals, you know? And then they begin to argue and say, you know, after all, Bible also talk about crystals. Bible also about crystals. People love to say, does the Bible have crystals, you know? Does the Bible have internet, that kind of stuff. So Bible also about crystals and all that. I love what... Uh, Pastor Susie said to this girl, she sent her on a process and did not answer whether the crystal bracelet is right or wrong. She just said to her, why don't you go and ask the Lord? Follow me. Why don't you go and seek the Lord? And that night, the girl was good. She was amazing. She really is a follower of Jesus. So as she went to sought the Lord, God gave her a dream. And in the dream, the whole thing about big black rock like, that the color of the crystal she was wearing appeared before. It was a big rock. And in the big rock, suddenly the big rock split open and out came snakes and serpents. And the eyes of the serpents were exact color of the crystal. Guess what she did? She burnt it. That's a success story. Come on, give Jesus a big clap offering. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we need to be processed and that's what happens. Another person was, now you may, you may say to this, this is not addiction, it's just a game. This is not addiction, it's just a game. So some people went, uh, apparently a few people, they, were con they began to, as God began to confront them that some of these games, it was not just a game, it was an addiction. And do you know what happened? Once the person, when confronted, this is not a game, it's an addiction, that person burnt all his cards. I, I don't know what it is, some kind of game cards. And it cost a lot of money. And that person that night slept so well. And that is the success story. Amen? Amen? But the process is following Jesus and allowing Jesus to confront the truth. Now, to be honest, what was the truth that Jesus was dealing with with Peter? Maybe it's self-reliance. Maybe it's pride. You know, in a lot of us, even as pastors, there's a sense of need to, a gang honus, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. We have to be aware of that because that I can do it is not in follow me and I will make you fishes of men. It's not there. The second thing Peter was maybe being confronted was this. Who actually is this Jesus? Do you know, although Jesus had told Peter and all the disciples he would die, the moment came, you know, I imagine this. Peter probably expected that when the, disciple, when the soldiers came and got hold of him, Jesus would use his supernatural power, chang, 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 and then all the soldiers fall down and dead. And then he would be, wow, this hero. Remember, Matthew is written to the Jews. 
And the Jews were looking for a Messiah. And the type of Messiah they were looking for was a political Messiah. So this truth, half-truth of a political Messiah had to be reckoned with. And so when Jesus was taken and, and shackled and even brutalized, it was an absolute moment of despair for the disciples. That's why they ran. Because suddenly they said, this guy that we've been following, he's not going to make it. And if he doesn't make it, we won't make it. That's why they fled. And maybe that's the truth. Maybe that's one of the truths. Maybe as we see things around us, we have prayed so hard for government and suddenly all these things are happening. Are you now going to continue to pray and follow Jesus? Because these are truths. God has to confront within us. But after that, God doesn't just confront truth. He comforts our pain and heals our shame. So we fast forward to John chapter 21. Now we're not going to read John chapter 21. We're just going to, I'm just going to turn to it. So if you have your Bibles, you go to it. I'll refer to bits and pieces of it. Here is the story continuing. Jesus had dealt with Peter and dealt with, really helped him to understand himself. I think that was the real truth. The real truth was that Jesus merely wanted Peter to understand that human beings are only human beings. If you understand this, then you will understand the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peter needed to understand that. Until we understand that, a lot of what we say, our promises, the things we want to do for God, it can be based on self-reliance. But here was Peter, totally shattered, and here in chapter 21, I'll just read very quickly to you. Look at the situation. After Jesus had appeared again in the wilderness, Simon Peter and his, and his friends began to say, let's just go out to fish. So imagine this. He's totally shattered. And here, he's facing the biggest defeat of his own life. He feels ashamed. He feels he's totally untrustworthy. He feels that, oh my gosh, what on earth is happening to me? It was a moment of great shame and a moment of great defeat. And here not only was that, Jesus now had gone to heaven, uh, not gone to heaven, sorry. Jesus now had died, crucified, and had raised again, but still, he was nursing this sense of shame and defeat within himself. And here Jesus comes to him. And as they go out to fish, suddenly, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Look, look at chapter 21, just follow me through. And then he says, and, and suddenly Jesus appears there. And the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. But he calls out to them, friends, have you any fish? And they answered, no. And I like the word no, because it was like, there's no success story. I followed Jesus, but there's no success story. If anything, I have failed him. If anything, look at the mistakes I've made. If anything... It's absolute defeat. But here is this. In the midst of that defeat, the sense of shame, Jesus says, throw your nets out and you will find some fish. So they threw the nets out and they dragged it in. And the story goes on that they brought the fish in. And then Jesus says to them in verse, I, I really like this, in verse 19, Bring some of the fish you have caught, and we will cook breakfast for you. Look at the way Jesus dealt with this love and gentleness in dealing 
with the defeat that Peter felt. I want to say this because church, uh, success is never a result of from success to success to success. Success is always goes through dips, moments of failure, moments of great embarrassment. I'm not, I'm not even sure if I want to share with you some of the great moments of defeat and embarrassment. So maybe you pray for me first, okay? And, and even as I share, just cover me with your love and, and the fact that I'm, I, I'm just going to share this so that you understand that behind every success story, there is moments of confronting the truth, there's moments of defeat and shame, and there's moments when God encourages us. But I want to tell you why following Jesus is essential. You know, Jesus never said, follow my teachings alone. He said, follow me, because Jesus is dynamic. Love cannot be expressed in just rules and regulations. Love is something that you have to experience. Grace is something, not just a word. It's something you have to go through to understand. And grace is especially needed in moments of failure and moments when, when you feel defeated. Now, my husband's getting really scared, wondering what I'm going to share. Got nothing to do with him. He was actually away. Some of you will remember this because it was really a moment of pain and shame for me. And by that time, I'm already a very high-level leader, successful leader, blah, 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 blah. And sometimes you may wonder, why does God allow you to go through that? I think it's to love him more, to love him more. E16 was a very powerful event. How many of you remember E16? Wow, you don't remember that? How many of you remember E16? Was it a powerful event? Was it a success story? Come on, was E16 a success story? Come on, pastors, was E16 a success story? Definitely it was. But it was a difficult journey because never in our lives have we ever run an event. We are not stadium people. The best we can do is fill this, this hall up. That's the best we can do. We already feel great if this hall is back to the brim and people sit at the sides and queue outside. But to fill a stadium of 10,000 people or 12,000 people is not our calling. At least I thought so. But in E16, God put it in Pastor Chu's heart, and I'm only the wife, to do E16. So obviously, I'm a good employee as well as a good wife. So I submit to him, do E16. But it's not my thing. I'm a discipling person, not a great evangelist. I'm super not that type. So just to go through my own journey for E16 was very, very tough. But on top of it is to really prepare our leaders to believe that E16 was an event that God had asked us to do. It was really hard because I was struggling with my own, uh, is it true, is it not true, uh, how to do it, no, how not to do it, what we have to do to do it, and, and how do you then convince the leaders? How do you share to them that indeed it's an event that God had put in our heart? Well, I, I reached a point where I said, yes, it's an event God has put in our heart. Die, die, I will do it. I don't know what we will do, but we will do it. And I remember that uh, Pastor Chu was away and there was a leaders meeting. And I think in the stress of that leaders meeting and without my husband's support, I lost my cool. I'm not proud to say it. And I said some harsh words to my leaders. And there were at least 300 leaders present that night. And at the moment of that harsh words, I felt legitimized to do it. But I knew that I'd said something that was too harsh. Immediately, the very next moment, texts came in from leaders, emails came in from leaders, really upset with me. 
it was a very difficult moment because I myself was struggling through the, the understanding why E16. And in the midst of that was this harsh words that I had already, and I cannot take it back. And all my leaders, some were really nice. Oh, it's okay, one pastor. If you cannot say a harsh word, you're the mother of the house. Then who can say all? Oh, I mean, it sounds nice, lah. But I've already said it, lah. I'll tell you, I've been so well trained by God, so well trained. The story of everything in SIP is about process. I've been so well trained by God that if I know this is not the right thing, I will immediately apologize. So I sent out mail to all my leaders and said, I'm so sorry. In the heat of that moment, I said some things which I should never have said. Will you forgive me? And I want you to know this that moments of defeat are not moments of failure. They are, in fact, moments of great intimacy. They are the moments when we say, He is a living hope. Because God never condemns us, but He needs to prune us. He needs to take us to the hard battles of life. He needs to, at times, even in that, you know, it was just beautiful. My, my, I think, I, come on, all the leaders were so good. They immediately forgave me. Give thanks to God for our leaders. You have a great church. Come on, thank these wonderful leaders. 300 of them probably forgave me. I don't know how many I sent mails out to. I just sent out to the main leaders. And they had probably got to send it out to their sub-leaders. But I just want to share it to you because I can understand what Peter went through. It was so hard. And look at the way Jesus nursed him back. Jesus didn't even say to him, you have no fish, right? I told you already, you have no fish, Lord. Jesus didn't even say that. No, no, no. He just said, no, don't worry. Cast it out again. Cast it out again. And he said, cast it out. And even then they said, no, I haven't, bought, we haven't caught any fish. Never mind, cast it out again. And as they dragged it in, Peter knew this was Jesus. He knew it was Jesus. And as he ran towards Jesus, I don't even know how he ran out towards Jesus. Maybe with fear, oh Jesus, will he look at me and say, you are the one that said you'd follow me even unto death and you're the one that... Would he say that? No. I think he saw Jesus' eyes. That's why following Jesus is dynamic. It's fixing your gaze upon him. Those beautiful songs, fixing, transfix my eyes, transfix on Jesus. God has trained me to transfix my gaze on Jesus. And so that's what happened. And I think as he came near, not only did he, they have fish, but Jesus attributed the catching of the fish to them. He didn't even say, there, I caught the fish for you already. No, he said, no, wonderful. You have caught so many fish, just like E16. Wonderful. 12,000 people, two nights, 24,000, all attributed to you all in SIB. But little did we know, we went through the doubts and the fears. You should have seen our doubts and fears. I even told the people, don't cover up the top panel because nobody will sit there. If we can fill the arena, 6,000, I'm very happy. Please cover the top so I don't have to see. And that is why in case you came in and wondered how come the top not open because of me. It rhymes, it rhymes. <laughs> I just want to say this because God is really bringing us to a new season in SIB. I believe God is really doing great things. I believe that God wants you all to expand your territory. I believe God wants to raise many of you to do things that we have never even done before. But we need to understand the process. The process of dealing with defeats. The process of dealing with even our personal ambition. The process even of knowing Jesus better. Do we really know Jesus? 
For instance, do you really know Jesus? Do you really know? Do you really know the Father's heart? I, I'm training so many people on how to read the Word, and my only challenge to everyone is this: I don't want you to be clever when you read the Word. I don't want you to be so good with Greek and Hebrew. I need only one thing: Do you know your God's heart? Do you know why God would ask you to obey Him? Do you know this or not? If you don't know, then we cannot follow Jesus. That's the main thing. God's going to challenge us on this. All right. But look at the next step now. Look at Jesus. Jesus doesn't just sayang sayang Peter and leaves him at that. I want you to know this. The purpose of following Jesus is that we are fishers of men. Amen. Come on. The, everybody say the purpose of following Jesus is that we will be fishers of men. Come on, say it strong and loud. The purpose of following Jesus is that we will be fishers of men. So if Peter is going just to be loved by Jesus, just to be validated by Jesus, and is not challenged to move on, actually Peter will never become fishers of men. Amen. So he must do the next part. So turn with me now to John 21, and we are going to look at this famous where he challenges his love and loyalty. So the third part that Jesus has to do to process Peter from being a person that he called to someone that can really be a fisherman, first he deals with his false truths, false belief systems, then he deals with his shame, and then he must now push him and challenge him to further love and loyalty. And that's where we have this famous story in John chapter 21. Now this one I really want to read because it's very beautiful. After breakfast, so Jesus doesn't just, now this is very important, one of the biggest problems of us in church. We love Jesus comforting us. We love Jesus loving us. We love Jesus dealing with our mistakes. But we don't like Jesus challenging us to maximal capacity. We don't like. We have to be challenged to that. Otherwise, there's no success story. The real success story also lies in this part, the third part. So after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than this? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then Feed my lambs, Jesus told me. Then Jesus repeated the question. Second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you, love, you know I love you. Then feed, take care of my sheep. A third time, three times, he's asking, do you love me? Peter was hurt by now, angry maybe by now, frustrated maybe by now, maybe upset with Jesus that Jesus didn't believe that he heard, loved him. Jesus asked the question, third time, do you love him? And he said, Lord, you know everything, you know that I love you. Why did Jesus ask Peter three times? Because following Jesus is not a picnic. Following Jesus is not a picnic. Following Jesus is tough. Until we can truly follow him through thick, through thin, we cannot be fishes of men. That's a fact. There have been many things coming our way. You know, first this morning, Pastor Sam Kyung talked about temptations. There'll be temptations. There'll be trials. There'll be distractions. Do you love me more than these distractions? Do you love me more than your ministry? Do you love me more than many things? You're going to see this coming again and again. Do you love me enough to give up Pornography. Do you love me enough to give up an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, revenge? Do you love me enough when all men persecute you, when they, they say you are, you are a fool, do you love me enough? Because Peter began to talk to, or rather Jesus began to say to Peter, listen, he says, and look at it. Sorry, can I have the next one? 
Uh, yeah. I tell you the truth. Now he's dealing with truth. Do you know following Jesus is not a myth? It's facts and reality. The word truth in Greek is reality. I tell you the truth. I tell you the reality, he says. When you were young, we were able to do as you like. You dress yourself. You went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to tell him by the kind of death he would glorify God. Now, remember Jesus, uh, Peter said, I'm willing to follow you even unto death. Now, actually it was not a, a wishful thinking. I think that was the desire of Peter's heart. Now, Jesus takes him now to tell him the possibility of death. And Jesus then says to him, don't worry how you will die, but follow me. And then Peter turns and sees John behind him and says, what about him? What about him? How will he die? And Jesus says, you don't worry about him. You follow me. And I think that's the message God gives to us. If we are going to follow Jesus, do not worry about the how or what will happen, but do we have the tenacity to keep loving him even until the very end? And we should never, 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 following Jesus is a personal journey. It's not about comparing ourselves to another person. I'm going to end by giving us the process again. There are three things that is required in the daily discipline of following Jesus. I'm going to make it very simple now. So what does it mean? for Jesus, for us to follow Jesus, and for Jesus to process us. How does Jesus process us? How does the Holy Spirit take us through the process, Lanka demi Lanka, as we go through each day's journey, as we face trials and temptations, as we trace distractions, as we trace our own mistakes, as we trace our, even as we face our success? What is the process daily, or weekly, or monthly of following Jesus? Number one, confront the truth which means read your Bible. Everybody say, read your Bible. You know, I was praying for people this morning and this person was saying, I want to know God more. I want to be close to God. And I asked, have you read the Bible? No. How long have you been a Christian? Ten years. Hard to love Jesus more if you don't even know the guy, right? Don't bluff yourself. Don't bluff yourself. Confront the truth, the real truth. Separating truth and error is only found in the word. And it's, I'll put that information, but it's more than information. But it's the beginning of God's ability to process us. God only uses his words to process us. He doesn't use all kinds of stuff. Second thing, not only must we allow the word to process us, we must enjoy times with God. I call it worship, loving him. Because that's when he deals with our shame, our pain, our whatever is going through our heart. He deals with our heart. But the third part is very important. The challenge to follow Jesus in our daily life. Our choices we make. Will we be able to follow Jesus even when things are hard? When no one else is following, will I love Jesus and follow him to the very end? So I'm going to end again with a story of SIB's early days. This one dates even before SIB KL. Can I have the worship team?
It dates even before SIBKL. It dates even to the early days when Pastor Chu and I had finished our studies in England. And Pastor Chu, you know, he loved Malaysia so much. And unfortunately, I'm married to him. So I have to love Malaysia as well, at least come back to Malaysia. And he loved Malaysia so much. And all places, he decided to come back to go to Sabah. Both of us are not from Sabah. We're from West Malaysia. We don't even know where Sabah, we do know where Sabah is, but don't know anything about Sabah. To me, Sabah is the ends of the earth. You know how they say, go to the ends of the earth. Sorry, if you're from Sabah, my apologies. Believe me, uh, I was quite young then, 27. And I remember at that time, uh, some, the only reason why I went to Sabah, you know why I finally agreed to him to go to Sabah? Someone showed me a picture of Kota Kinabalu, of, uh, the, the, the port looking down from it from Signal Hill. The picture was beautiful and they said to me, hey, Kota Kinabalu is like Hong Kong. Wow, I said, Hong Kong can go shopping. Oh, wow, immediately I want to go already. So I was deceived into going to Sabah. When I went to Sabah, do you know in Sabah, even the coconut tree, uh, I'm very sure if I reach out my hand from the aeroplane, you can touch one. Sorry. It was so different. That was 1978. There was definitely no Chakwe not even KFC. There was nothing there. In fact, after 8 p.m., nobody goes out to eat. And then not only that, Pastor Chu was the only guy need for one million people. He was flying here, flying there. And sorry, my apologies to you if you're from Sabah. In those days in Sabah, he's the only gynecologist. And you know what? We're going to a supermarket. Uh, they were going to say, ah, see, And you know, he's a guy It's not actually a nice thing, right? We never had any peace because, and then not only that, I, I had lived 10 years in, in England by that time and of course I had all those amazing DJs and everything and you know, and of course you go to Sabah, you turn on the radio, there's no DJ, there's only Tamparuli, 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 notice that song Tamparuli, Tamparuli, and I'm like, so not Tamparuli. And not only that, we were the first two to appear in a native church. We're the only non-natives. Of course, missionaries got love, but we are not missionaries. We are, we are not missionaries. We're just going there. People tell us, go SIB, we go, but we're not missionaries. I don't know what we were. We just happened to be there. I was supposed to go shopping. <laughs> there was not even a thing to buy. When I wanted even, apart from black and white thread, there was no other colour thread to buy. And I actually liked sewing in those days. No other colour bread to buy. And then not only that, on top of it, they told us we're going to... Only gynecologists, right? They didn't even give us even a, a place to stay. We had to stay in a nurse's hostel. And all my boxes had come, you know, so live out of the boxes. No place to stay. Only a tiny room of the nurse's hostel. And then not only that, no salary. So no money, have to borrow money from father, mother, buy car. Oh, it was horrible. And then not only that, no friends. Not a single friend. How do you talk to the natives? In those days, the native church uh, don't even wear shoe inside. No? And then when they preach, uh, the kokokai come in one. And then the dogs run in one. I mean, and then if you sit too long, you don't ever wear light-coloured dress. It will not be nice already. Not a single person that like, we could speak to that was even speaking English. England. Let alone drink tea. It was miserable. And I said to myself, hmm, Lord Jesus, I need an open door. So God opened the door. Very wide somehow. Two weeks, we actually have two PRs. One in England, I've lived in England 10 years. I got a PR. And one in Australia. Actually have PR. So immediately, Lord Jesus, open the door. Immediately. 
One hospital, Royal Adelaide Hospital, Sick Children's Hospital, Adelaide, sent me, you know, come, 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 don't even need interview, not even, no, those days, no Skype, nah. no telephone interview, no nothing interview, no need to fly there, come, come and be a registrar in our children's hospital, because I come from the professorial unit of Edinburgh University, and of, my professor is the one that writes all the pediatric books, so they thought, wow, oh, professor's uh, girl must take the house. Huh? So I said, praise the Lord, our prayers are answered. We are not meant to be in Sabah. And SIB was so tiny, only seven people inside SIB Likas. So tiny, seven people only, you know. I look at you, you look at me, you know, that type of thing. It was hard. Some people could speak English, the rest all cannot speak English, cannot even speak Bahasa. They are Dusuns, right? It was so tough. So doors are wide open. This is two years already. Two years we suffered already. Doors are wide open. And so, we got the job. So, my husband pity me. Let's go. Oh, say, Let's go. Praise the Lord. The doors are open. God has answered our prayers. He knows me very well. But you know, this is where it's about following Jesus. I don't know. I, maybe I was trained to follow Jesus. I don't know. I don't know. But just two weeks before we were due to go, something in my heart said to me, I cannot go. And my husband said, yes, we cannot go. For this will surely not please God. Because we have set our hearts to love Jesus, even unto the very end. Even at that time, we have set our hearts to love Jesus. We were not in Sabah to do some great things for God. We were in Sabah because he was following Jesus and I was following Jesus. Everything was tough. And do you know something? Immediately we said, uh, the, the job is still vacant, huh? we said to ourselves, we cannot go. Do you know something? The moment we say we cannot go, suddenly uh, the Tamparuri song seems okay. Well. Suddenly, uh, no, nothing, no, no red thread, no green thread, okay. Well. Suddenly, uh, actually, it's okay to go to a native church and the kokokai come in, no? But it was in that native church where the kokokai comes in <laughs> that I, two years later, had an experience with the Holy Spirit that was Luabiasa. And that is the beginning of SIB. I don't want to say that's to glorify men. I want to say this to glorify Jesus. If you want and I, we want to live for Jesus. Are we prepared to follow him until the very end? I love the song. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil line, now surrender. Breaking new ground. You know the word surrender has been used a lot. The word surrender simply means allow Jesus to process us. Can you stretch your hands to the Lord as I close? Every one of you. Just open your arms. Stretch your hands to God. Father, in Jesus' name, we see these outstretched hands.
is a sign and a posture of surrender. Worship, honor, utter dependence upon you, Lord. As the hands are outstretched to you, we receive. Whatever it is that you've downloaded from heaven right now, right into our hearts, that's where our hands point to, right into our spirit man, right into the inside of our inner being, that you will make us, that you will process us, that you will transform us to be more and more like Jesus. So, Father, I want to pray and bless every single person here. Every family that we represent. Every household. Bless them. And the Lord will say to you this day, I will bless you. I will bless your food. I will bless the water. I will bless the work of your hands. You will be fruitful. You will not be barren. And the fruits that you bore, you bear will not drop off prematurely, but it will reach its maturity. And every project that you do will be launched. It will not be aborted. I will not give you the diseases of Egypt. They will pass over you because the blood of Jesus Christ will protect you. You will be healed. And I will give you a full lifespan. But it's not your time to go home. You will not go home. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your promise. And we receive it, Lord. We receive it. Every single one of these will come to pass. And we will fly high. We will last long. Fly high. Last long. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you this day. May the Lord make His face always to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face to every one of you and your loved ones. Some of them are not here with you, but wherever they are, the Lord will bless them. So may the Lord turn His face towards you always and grant you shalom, shalom, shalom. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.